Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to Pickle Philosophy, the only podcast uh, that delivers philosophy with that vinegar taste you love. I'm here with Simon. How are you doing, Simon? I'm decent. I'm doing okay. I uh, had a Greek yogurt uh, granola bar and two cups of coffee before this, so I'm feeling revved and ready for some philosophy. Oh, delicious. <laughs> I am also caffeinated. All right. Well, today I wanted to get into the Enchiridion. Enchiridion. Uh, by Epictetus. Uh, he was wow. a Stoic philosopher. Uh, they used to be a slave. Um, and he, he has some interesting things to say about uh, how to live your life and how to uh, deal with conflict. Absolutely. I think uh, Stoicism is pretty relevant even in 2020. So I think it'd be fun to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, uh, well, I just I was wanting to go through each section, so we maybe we can do the the first five sections today. Um, the first one is really powerful, and I'm gonna read a little bit of it, and we can talk about that. So it says, "Some things are in our control, and others are not. Things in our control are opinion, pursuit, desire, aversion, and in a word, whatever." are our own actions. Things not in our control, our body, property, reputation, command, one word, whatever, are not our own actions. Um, so, so for me personally, that I like to apply this one in just that way, like something that's out of my control, the weather, other people, the government, for the most part, right? <laughs> you know, um, things in control are just, you know, me, um, you know, my habits, any action I do. Um, Simon, what do you think about that? I know you're a little bit new to this. I think, uh, yeah. And I mean, you know, I only know so much about uh, stoicism here, but I, I can speak at least to, um, this idea of knowing what you can control and what you can't Right? Um, there's an American theologian, um, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr who wrote a popular Christian prayer called the serenity prayer. Right. And oh, yeah. um, the prayer says uh, it's kind of a request to, to God to grant one serenity to accept things they can't change courage to change things they can and wisdom to know the difference. Right. And although that's mm -hmm. like Christian theology, I think that's like kind of a good summation of um, what Definitely. it is. This, this, this law is talking about, which is, um, recognizing that, you know, in life, like there are, there are certain things that are kind of beyond your grasp, um, and that wasting kind of, uh, mental energy on that is, is just like a waste. It's, it's mm -hmm. exactly what it is. It's a waste. It's, uh, it's something that you cannot change, you know, um, mm -hmm. somebody else's opinion, um, you know, that's that's something that you can't change, although you can you can choose your own actions, your own opinions, your own pursuits or, you know, um, these are things that are that are within your grasp. So when you when you find yourself frustrated with a with a situation um, that you can't control, it's important to recognize, like, why am I wasting my time and resources? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Something that's not able to be budged, you know, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I've actually uh, a friend of mine. Um, I was trying to show my friend the, the Enchiridion. It's a part of it. 
And she sent me back the serenity prayer. She said, it's exactly the same, you know, or maybe, perhaps not exactly, you know, um, but that same message, what you're saying, I think is in both of them. There's a lot of overlap that we see in these philosophies, you know? Yeah. I mean, so. it's, it's probably, it, I would likely say that Reinhold Niebuhr was probably directly inspired by this because they want to say that this the serenity prayer was like in the 30s or 40s 1930s or 40s oh really okay so um it's it's likely that he was inspired um by stoicism in general um hold up so robert niebuhr he said how did you say that reinhold 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 whoops (laughs) it's a little bit r-e-i-n-h-o-l-d niebuhr n-i-e-b-u-h-r Okay. Um, for anybody out there interested in looking him up, um, I'm sure he's got a Wikipedia page or something. Mm-hmm. He so he was just a theologian, or was he a, like a, a psychologist? What exactly? He, yeah, he was an American theologian, and also I'm pretty sure like like a pastor. Um, sure. Pretty sure he gave um, sermons and stuff like that. And I I want to say that the Serenity Prayer came out of a a series of sermons that he was giving um somewhere in that time period of the 30s and 40s um i want i want to say like i read some research or something that was saying that he he kind of took an amalgamation of things that he was saying in this uh uh mm-hmm. slew of sermons he was giving and kind of came with came up with the serenity prayer out of that which is now i know wow. heavily associated with aa as well that's a big part of yeah it. that's where i've heard of it yeah know. but i mean that's a good that's a great avenue to utilize that, right? You're saying, well, there's oh, some definitely. things that you can't control when you're in this process, but the things that you can, mm-hmm. you should focus whatever resources and energy you have mm-hmm. on those things because the things out of your control, like it's just a waste to think that you could possibly do. Like, worrying yeah, is not for going sure. to affect that, you know? Yeah. And like, I think a lot, like for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people, like I find myself like getting stuck in the past a little bit, you know, like, you know, I'll just my mind will go back, you know, and it's not it's not always bad to like, you know, look back and think to learn from the past, you know, but when you're when you're stuck there and you're just idling, you know, I think wasting that emotional energy on that, um, I don't think that's productive, you know. Um, well, right. I mean, the text says right here that if you're focusing on things you can't control, you mm-hmm. will lament you will be disturbed. Oh yeah. You will find fault both with gods and men. But if you suppose that only to be your own, which is your own and what belongs to others, such as it really is, then no one will ever compel you or restrain you further. You will find fault with no one or accuse. No one. You will do nothing against your will. No one will hurt you. You will have no enemies and you will not be harmed. Right? Like it's a, it's like a kind of a handbook for life almost saying like, well, if you want to. Yeah, definitely. Life strong and avoiding harm like focus on you and yourself you can control you you know yeah no definitely and and i think like that can help a lot of people you know it helps me um uh so all right well i i could talk forever about this first one uh but let's try to let's read a little bit of the second one and uh kind of get into this um so here it gets into remember the following desire promises the attainment of that of which you're desirous and aversion promises the avoiding that to which you're averse. 
Uh, he, however, he who fails to obtain the object of his desire is disappointed, and he who incurs the object of his aversion is wretched. If, then, you confine your aversion to those objects only which are contrary to the natural use of your faculties, which you have in your own control, you will never incur anything to which you are averse. But if you are averse to sickness or death or poverty, you'll be wretched. Remove aversion, then, from all things that are not in our control and transfer it to things contrary to the nature of what is in our control. Um, so, uh, yeah, to me, you know, we may... I spend a lot of my time worrying about, say, like traffic. You know, I'll be driving and I'm like, oh, I hope there's not a wreck. I hope there's not some jerk out there, you know, trying to, to cut me off. And, you know, I just worry and, and I almost make it in my head out to be that um, that's going to decide if my day goes well or goes badly. Yeah. Um, but here, you know, it talks about, it's saying, Hey, don't, don't worry about that. It's going to be there no matter what. It's up to you to formulate a response, you know? Yeah. Um, I kind of find the second rule of the Enchiridion a, a little comical in the train of thought in that, you know how, like, when you're mm-hmm. in school and you have a really good idea and you raise your hand, teacher or professor calls on you and you say your thought, right? And you're like, yeah. damn, I really thought that out. I, I did the reading for class, whatever. That was like a very quality product. And then the uh-huh. person like two seats away from you raises their hand and they're like, yeah. And then they say, I'd actually like to build off of what they said, right? And they like, kind of like <laughs> piggyback off of something that you said and like take it further. And you're like, you stole my idea. Damn but like, it. <laughs> you know, like it, it's not really that. It's kind of the nature of a of a of a lecture discussion style um, class, like a seminar, you know. But yeah. it's kind of the same thing here, right? In in the first law, he's saying. Um, Epictetus is saying, like, we can't worry about things that are beyond our power to control, you know, because mm-hmm. even if you try to to guard yourself and prepare for those things, like, it's just for wasting sure. your mental facilities mm-hmm. because, you know, worrying about things that you can't control is folly, right? So in mm-hmm. the second in the second thing, he's like, and to build upon that, I'd like to say this also stems to desire, right? Like he's mm-hmm. saying, you know, um, you should only desire things that you can actually attain. So avoid kind of foolish on like foolish things that you can't actually um, um, attain or you yeah. can't like or don't try to avoid things that you can't really avoid, i.e. like taxes, like taxes. <laughs> yeah, you, taxes and death. If you waste your time uh, <laughs> trying to get away from taxes, like, well, I'm sorry, that's inevitable. But, you know, Some people um, get away with it. <laughs> it's kind of that that follow up point of. Not only should you not worry about things beyond your control, but you shouldn't even desire things beyond actual attainability, you know? So I oh, know yeah. for me, 
I honestly, I struggle with this one because I feel like my ideas and my aspirations sometimes are, are too big. I think, you know, I want to, mm-hmm. you know, as a musician, sometimes I think like, I want to be the best musician. And it's like, well, that's impossible, right? Like people like, like Jacob Collier or, mm-hmm. or Tom Mish or people that I look up to sure. musicians are just so far ahead of me that uh-huh. I think like, well, what use is it for me to think, well, I want to be the best musician rather than thinking I want to make music. Um, as inspiring as these individuals, or I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to have a, an in, an individual voice as a musician. These are more attainable goals, right? And I get yeah. really caught up in that all the time. And, and the same thing, like you were saying with traffic, right? Like, what use is there to say, oh, I wish there wasn't traffic, because there's always going to be traffic. Yeah, it's why always desire, there. Yeah, why desire the lack of traffic if you know, no matter what, there will be traffic, right? Like, just mm-hmm. deal with it, accept it, right? Like. Yeah, no point in being disappointed about it. It's beyond your control. Yeah. And like, you know, I think that fits really neatly into it. I think that's a better framing, you know, for your music. You know, for one, being a great musician like them is kind of public opinion. You know, you have to rely like, okay, other people have to consider me to be a great musician. But maybe if you if you just put in hard work and and you produce a great product and then I think you'd be more successful, you know. Um of course, I mean you have to make money and stuff. But you know like um really you can't control anything besides what you do, you know, the work you put into that music and you know that drive. So that's very cool. Very cool. Good good thought, Simon. <laughs> yeah. No problem. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Um, this one's a little bit shorter. I'll read the whole thing. Um, with regard to whatever objects give you delight, are useful, or are deeply loved, remember to tell yourself of what general nature they are. Beginning from the most insignificant things. If, for example, you are fond of a specific ceramic cup, Remind yourself that it is only ceramic cups in general of which you are fond. Then, if it breaks, you will not be disturbed. If you kiss your child or your wife, say that you can only kiss things which are human. Thus, you will not be disturbed if either of them dies. Whoa! <laughs> that one... Um, That's heavy. That That is pretty heavy. You know, <laughs> and like, I'm still trying to you know, grasp this, it's definitely, it's not easy. Um, We talk about the cup, you know, he has a really cool cup. It's like, man, this cup is really, really cool. I love it. It's beautiful. Um, If it breaks, it's just a cup, you know. Um, But your wife or your your kid, you know, that's that's pretty hardcore. (laughs) I find it hard to be so far removed from humanity. Like, how... You know, because we we place such um, importance on our relationships with people that I Definitely. can't imagine myself fully believing. Oh, but it's it's not uh, my wife that I'm really um, enjoying a relationship with. It's just a human. It's the it's humanity yeah. and connection. You know, mm-hmm. like that's crazy to me. Yeah, and this is one of the parts where, like, I kind of you kind of have to to sprinkle some salt on it, take a, a few grains of salt. Um, 
I would disagree with this. Um, partly, I think it's important to, uh, in my opinion, you know, have that emotional connection. And I think it's just natural for people to to grieve and, you know, to feel bad about a person, a loved one you've lost. Um, but, you know, you could, I think it's a good um, mindset to have maybe for for possessions, for possessions or even status, you know, a job, car, you know, uh, because I think you don't necessarily need those to, it's not a necessary um, naturally for humans, you know. Well, I think it's it's interesting that that Epictetus would even kind of suggest like, well, uh, being sentimental is weakness, you know, like, yeah, uh, you know, because he's saying, well, you're not actually fond of this cup because of a specific reason. You're just fond of cups in general, which yeah. I'm not sure if I if I entirely agree with Epictetus here. I think I see his line of thinking. It's just a thing, you know, don't be so materialistic. But, um, for example, um, if I have, let's say, um, I'm looking around the room I'm in maybe for some inspiration. Um, okay, a hat. I, I, if I have a hat here, right, I have a hat from my alma mater. Oh, okay. Um, that hat means more to me than a regular hat because it <laughs> in some ways epitomizes a lot of experiences, right? Like mm -hmm. it epitomizes for me, uh, the pursuit of knowledge. It epitomizes some of the friendships I had in college. It epitomizes my near liver failure. Like it, it has, oh, uh, Jesus. It oh, has some, you know, it has some, some connotations to it. And so I think that when we have physical items that represent something that we value, I don't know if that's a weakness in my mind, um, mm -hmm. but I think the 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 uh, overarching overarching whatever one it is uh, the big point that <laughs> um, Epictetus is trying to make is that um, this is a handbook to avoid being harmed, right? Oh yeah. This is a way to live there. life so that you can live at a distance from the the pain of life. Um, so if you look at the hat as well yeah the memories matter but the memories are also in my mind right at the mm -hmm. end of the day the hat is just a hat um, yeah and i just true. like the hat because it's a hat um <laughs> then you, when the hat is, you know is thrown in the garbage you're not as as affected by it and you could apply i don't know if you should but you could apply the same thing to a relationship your your father passes away from old age mm -hmm. um, his suggestion is well it's it's not just that it's your father it's uh that you're that you're grieving for you're you're grieving for fatherhood in general or humanity in general you know so like then you can be at a distance from the pain which again like you said i don't know if i agree with that i think vulnerability and kind of um uh embracing your emotions is a sure kind of strength in my mind but um, yeah you know i think uh epictetus is also um entitled to this opinion oh yeah yeah, and it's actually really interesting you said that because he actually lived a good portion of his life as a slave. You know, he's a slave. 
Also, he was lame. Uh, they weren't exactly sure why. It could have been his master broke his leg. It could have been he was born that way. But he was a crippled. Maybe that's not politically correct. But he, he had a, a handicap. And he was a slave, you know, for a good part of his life. Um, so he had to deal with a lot of this stuff. And it's, I think it's actually kind of interesting you're, you're seeing it from his point of view. You know, this is somebody who's been hurt a lot. <laughs> Therefore, um, he has to have a good means of dealing with that pain. And it looks like that, you know, I mean, it sounds to me like he lived his life in pretty much constant pain. Therefore, I can imagine why he would want to create a system in oh, which yeah. you can constantly like avoid and or deal with pain you know mm -hmm. i'm sure he was under a lot more um pressure and pain than you were you or i would be mm -hmm. yeah definitely um that's pretty pretty sharp of you simon good job <laughs> not so, a problem i think it's important we contextualize this stuff oh yeah all right Let's move on to, to the fourth one, where, uh, let's see, this one, I'll, I'll go ahead and read this one as well. When you are going about any action, remind yourself what nature the action is. You're going to bathe, picture to yourself the things that which usually happen in the bath. Some people splash the water, some push, some use abusive language, and others steal. Thus, you will more safely go about this action if you say to yourself, I will now go bathe and keep my own mind in a state comfortable, sorry, conformable to nature. And in the same manner with regard to every other action. For thus, if any hindrance arises in bathing, you will have it ready to say, it was not only to bathe that I desired, but to keep my mind in a state conformable, conformable, there we go again, to nature. And I will not keep it if I am bothered at things that happen. Um, so, yeah, in those uh, Roman bathhouses, you know, uh, I'm sure things could get kind of rough, as he said, you know. Um, uh, it's kind of going back to what I said about, like, me hating driving through traffic. You know, traffic is always like that, you know. I, that's expected. So, uh, you know, a good thing for me to do is, uh, you know, being okay with that. You know, some... Some people will be jerks on the road. Some people will cut you off. There will be accidents. You know, this is these are things that happen. Um, so if I, it's up to me to keep my mind in in a place, as he said it, conformable to nature. You know, in a natural state. Um, so I'm less bothered. Do you, Simon, do you have any, any thoughts or maybe examples or experiences you've had that go along with something like this? I mean, I hate to go back to the musician point, but... No, I, you're fine. I think that being in a state conformable to nature is a huge thing as a collaborative musician, right? Mm -hmm. um, because um, when I'm about to make music with someone, um, I do kind of have to do a mental prep of, okay... Uh, if I were to replace bathe with make music, um, it would sound like this. I will now go make music and keep my own mind in a state conformable to nature, right? And how does that kind of uh, transfer? It's that I think I think uh, Epictetus is kind of um, implying that we need to be ready for anything. 
um, know what to expect when you go to do an action, but also you need to keep your wits kind of with you. And if uh, something tumultuous comes to happen, you need to be ready to react, right? Be flexible, be, be aware. Um, it's kind of like a, a warrior mindset almost <laughs> like, um, yeah, definitely. When changes happen, you need to be ready to adjust to that, even if you're in the mindset of doing the thing. So as far as like a collaborative musician standpoint, um, there is music on the page that we're both following. That doesn't mean that the other musician is going to follow that exactly, right? Like oh, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen in the moment. If the if the musician's going to get uh, nervous and skip a line or mm. they're going to feel emotionally compelled and 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 at a, a crescendo where they normally didn't and you want to you want to you want to build with them and make something organic right like there is a you need to be in a state of conformable conformability to nature right like that's um i think it's not just applicable to music but in my experience that's a place where i've really seen that manifest um i, I think it's funny that he uses a bath as his um <laughs> as his uh <laughs> kind of example but um but it's right, like, because you're vulnerable when you're bathing, right? Definitely. Like, it's not only bathing that I desired, but keeping my mind in a state conformable to nature so that I'm not bothered by things that happen, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you're ready for anything. If someone comes into your house trying to rob you while you're in the, the bath, um, you weren't necessarily worrying about it, but you're able to quickly adapt to that mindset and and then react and then react to what's happening right it's it's not saying to be in the bath and think oh god is someone gonna rob me <laughs> yeah bath, i'm gonna be here to bathe but if something else happens i'm gonna adjust to that immediately right it's a it's a state of adjustability or conformability that he's um suggesting and i actually i agree with this point i think i think we need to be ready for anything which doesn't mean to obsess over those things mm -hmm. um but i think we need to be ready for things i do think that's true yeah definitely Awesome, Simon. All right, let's uh, let's go on to the next one, uh, the final one for today. Oh, the big five. Number five. Last excited, Corey, but not excited for least. this one. Was that? I'm sorry. You said you excited for this one, Corey? Excited for number oh, five? Oh, I'm so excited. Ooh. All right. All right. <laughs> let's do it. All right. Men are disturbed not by things, but by the principles and notions which they form concerning things. Death for instance, is not terrible, else it would have appeared so to Socrates. But the terror consists in our notion of death that it is terrible. When therefore we are hindered or disturbed or grieved, let us never attribute it to others, but to ourselves, that is, to our own principles. An uninstructed person will lay the faults of his own bad condition upon others. Someone just starting instruction will lay the fault on himself. Some who is perfectly instructed will place blame neither on others nor on himself. Okay. Um, so let's address one thing first. Um, they talk about death, right? Um, as something that's not that bad. Um, Objectively, no. I'm sorry. Objectively, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, he's saying like it's it's not necessarily death that is disturbing, but your fear of it, right? Right, your perception. Exactly, exactly. Um, 
Yeah, it's you know, it's it's not that bad. Like, well, I you know personally, I am a little bit scared. <laughs> I'm not maybe advanced enough in my Stoke philosophy, but you know, he talks about it would have been scary for Socrates. I believe. Don't quote me on this, but I believe Socrates had said, you know, death wouldn't be that bad. You know, it's it could just be like a nice sleep. If there's something afterwards, that's great. If not, you know, I just go to sleep. I want to pre- I, I want to make a side note. By the way, I don't encourage anyone to die. I want everybody <laughs> to to live a long, happy life. It's but... an important uh, side bar. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, we're talking about the philosophy. I don't necessarily agree we with our philosophizing death not encouraging it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> got a little flustered there but uh but yeah i think we can we can apply to that to other things besides death say perhaps maybe you get fired from your job you know really it's this principle that like say you're working and you get fired and you're distraught of course which is natural and you think to yourself, you know, I'm terrible. I'm, you know, I'm, because I got fired, I'm, you know, I I don't have as much value. But really, it, it's not that you got fired that is, say, giving you that distress. It's your thoughts on it, you know. I agree. I think it's a mindset thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think having the ability to shift perspective controls your life experience right like mm-hmm. this goes back to rule one worrying about what's beyond your power is futile but controlling yourself your opinions your viewpoints mm-hmm. that you know that that's that's virtuous and that's fruitful mm-hmm. right um and you know the perspective that you take when when something on the outside something extrinsic happens to you 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 can't control that thing that happened to you, but you can control how you respond to it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so so death. If we're going back to the idea of death, that's we're fearful of death because we don't understand it. We don't know for sure what happens. Oh yeah. Right? But if we shift the perspective of we don't know what happens to the things that we don't know are things that we're not meant to know. There's some solace in that, right? Sure. Like, like I don't need to know what happens after death. It just simply happens. Therefore, it'll happen. In the case of getting fired. Someone, someone might have a really negative perspective about getting fired because of one's cultural beliefs on that, or um, just like, oh, I'm losing security, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm inadequate. But you can shift your perspective on that. Right? Definitely, you could say, yeah, I was fired, but you could also say, well, I've had new opportunities open for me. Right, one door is closed, new ones have opened. Sure, um, perspective is stronger than any external happenstance. So. It's things are only frightful or or make you afraid if you allow them to be so because you don't have control over those things, but you do have control over your response. Like pain, fear, anxiety, these 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 things that come into your brain momentarily are messages that you can choose to ignore with enough mental fortitude or constitution. Now I'm not implying that like this is separate from like a um uh, what's the word? Um, like if you have a, a, a like a condition of anxiety, um, that's sure, actually, yeah. like situational anxiety. Everyone gets anxiety, positive anxiety, negative anxiety. Like, um, oh, you're just 
you just can control it. You know? Yeah. I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not going to be the person that goes out there and tells the person with anxiety, like, Hey, you know, just get over it, you know, pull up your bootstraps. <laughs> like, no, um, they're going to okay boomer me right back, you know? So that's yeah. definitely not, um, what I'm implying, but I'm saying like situational fear, situational anxiety, when that arises, taking a moment to pause and instead of react, mm-hmm. taking a moment to pause and then choose to respond to it in a way that you have control of the situation because you have control over your, not over your reaction, but your response, right? Yeah. Um, so accepting things as they come um, and, mm-hmm. and trying to twist that in a way that you maintain control of yourself because you can't control mm-hmm. the situation. And I think this, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about the end, right? The end? Uh, yeah, an, instru- an uninstructed person will lay the fault of his yeah, own bad condition upon others. Someone just starting instruction will lay the fault on himself. And some who is frickly instructed will place blame neither on others nor on himself, right? Um, I think we've all had a, a bad manager, right? <laughs> or like boss yeah. um, who can never do anything wrong ever. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> right. It's, 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 it's just a built-in confirmation bias. And I, I think um, Epictetus is saying you need to avoid that, right? Like there are mm-hmm. times where it isn't on you and you should be aware of that. But there are, this doesn't mean to direct the criticism onto others. And at the same time, there are times where it's entirely on you. And you need to be willing to be humble enough to say, yeah, that was on me, right? Um, and this ties into your perspective. If you try to maintain an objective, neutral perspective on things, you'll know truthfully whether it's on you, whether it's on someone else, or whether it's on no one, you know, in any situation. Uh, conflict doesn't just arise out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Usually there's a reason for it. And if it's your fault, accept it. Um, don't direct that criticism on other people, you know, and, and you can't change. If you're in an argument where someone is escalating, you cannot change the fact that they're escalating and you shouldn't try to, you shouldn't say, calm down. That is the worst idea. <laughs> Nobody calm. No, it's, it usually has the opposite response. But what you can do is you can tell yourself, I'm going to remain calm and not in a condescending way, just for your own sanity for your you know you don't want to impede your sanity um again this goes back to rule three you know don't maintain a great attachment to people or objects like that'll help you maintain sanity right like don't be Mm. like i can't get in a fight with this person like like if it's happening just keep calm and work your way through it you know like Mm -hmm. don't try to deflect and you know like stay objective and and keep your perspective under your control yeah definitely you know um, I think like, so it's talking about an uninstructed person will put his back default on others. Um, and well, going over to someone who is perfectly instructed will blame neither on others nor on himself. Like, I think he's talking about maybe blaming others uh, is usually not really, um, you know, productive. Uh, you know, uh, it's, well, I guess it's more like you can't control other things. You can't control the past placing blame. In my opinion, this is what I'm kind of interpreting it as. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, um, uh, what I'm getting is that it's not, it's something you can't control as the past. You can only control, like, maybe what can we do to change this in the future? Um, mm-hmm. So, 
But all right, all right. Thank you, Simon, for for going through this with me. This was really fun. Uh, Thanks for having me. Hashing it out. Uh, Thank you to all our viewers um, or listeners. Uh, Hopefully we'll see you next time.